Welcome to our regular Wednesday class that's become our regular Wednesday night class. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe this? Do you believe what's going on these days? Like, do you believe this? Are you watching what's happening? We are right now, you know what's begun right now? Just now as our class began, our class started and curfew started also. Yes, you and I, if we're in New York, we're in curfew right now. Do you believe this? Do you believe what 2020 has looked like? Just the pictures and the images that we've had sent to our phone in the last three or four days have been unbelievable. I have two videos that I got to my phone that, that stuck in my brain just today. One was a man driving through some city in America, I don't know where. And you see buildings bashed in, one after another after another, looted, emptied, completely, entirety, entirely, fires burning. It's wild. And the second one, the second video, was I just saw a couple hours ago, was, it looked like it was a man from our community, but you can't, you only hear his voice, you don't see him. Driving through New York City, through Manhattan, and he's driving Madison Avenue, Fifth Avenue, every store we know, all boarded up. Doesn't even, doesn't even make sense. Like everyone, not like half of them, most of them, from Louis Vuitton to Barnes and Nobles to H&M to Zara to Rolex, the NBA store, everybody was boarded up. It's incredible. And, 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 and people are just talking like, what's happening? How could this be happening? It seems like it's never going to end. It feels like we're going from bad to worse. From the beginning of the year. From the helicopter crash that happened in, in, in L.A., to the plane over Tunisia. This year, the year 2020, has felt like a horrible year. And everybody's just saying to themselves, I don't know where this world is going. I don't know where our life is going. The America's falling apart at it seems. Our country is not gonna be what it was. New York City will never look the same. Well, tonight, I'd like to take a very different approach. Because I felt all the emotions I just expressed, just like I'm sure you have. And just like I'm sure the people around you have. But I think and I hope that by the time we're done tonight, we could shift our mindset. And shift it away from just looking at the chaos. But rather, looking forward. This week we're going to read Parashat Naso. Parashat Naso is the longest parashat in the entire Torah. Hopefully by this weekend all the shoes will be open. And in Parashat Naso we read two very famous, a lot of famous parts to it. But there are two pieces, two portions, two parashiot within the parashat that our rabbis link together. The first one is Sota. Sota is a woman who we're now suspicious. She's been married for a while and we're now suspicious that maybe she's no longer being loyal 
to her marriage and to her family. And what happens to Sota? Her husband suspects her. Her husband accuses her. He has witnesses of suspicion. He brings her to the Beit HaMikdash and she drinks this cup of water. A cup of water that is, has Hashem's name placed into it. And if she's guilty, punishment happens miraculously. And right after that, the Torah transitions into a whole separate subject, the subject of Nazir. What's a Nazir? That's a man or a woman, a person who sees that, uh, who decides, makes this decision, seems to be out of nowhere, but makes this decision, I am not, for a month, I am going to be very holy. And for that month, they can't cut the hair, they can't have any access to wine, they can't come to, can't come to, to anything. And Rashi asks the famous question. And Rashi makes the famous comment. Now she says, what is Sota, which is the woman who we're suspicious of, and a Nazir, the man who stops himself from wine and other temptations, what do these two people have to do with each other? Answers Rashi, the classic answer, Haro'eh Sota Bikilkula. Someone who sees her Sota, sees her destruction, sees her demise, sees her punishment, if you were in the Beit HaMikdash and you witnessed this, you witnessed her drink the water and you witnessed the punishment happen to her, Yazir Become a Nazir. What does that mean? Become a Nazir? Abstain from wine. You still, Rashi. Okay, so I got a loose connection. If I see a Sota, I should become a Nazir. Why? The answer is that our Torah is giving us a very important approach. A very important approach to disaster. The Torah is telling us, when you see the sotah, when you see the disaster, you know what you need to do? Identify the source of the disaster. Instead of saying to yourself, wow, I can't believe it, I can't believe it, how terrible, do you believe what she did, it's the worst. No. Find the source of the disaster and learn from it. So some people will see a sotah and they'll just see, this is terrible. Other people will see a sota and will see a reason for holiness. How? Because what caused this? How did a woman get to this point in her life that she would transgress such a horrific sin? The answer our rabbis are implying is this, is that it started with a glass of wine. It started with this party mentality. And they drank wine and more wine, and before you know it, loose and loose and looser and looser and looser until this horrible sin happened. So what do you do? Go to the source of the sin and abstain from that. Because you understand how this disaster happened? Because of that glass of wine. Let me hold back from that glass of wine so that the disaster will never be me. In other words, our rabbis are teaching us the concept, I think, I'd like to call it, of a match. You know what? I'm in my house, so I'll do a little show and tell. See, I don't have the flowers today. The orchids, I think, uh, they're, they're, they're not on there. You know some people know how to preserve orchids like unbelievable? We're not those people. So anyhow, they're drooping. So here's, we, I got a match today. My little show and tell is a match. You know what a match is? You know what a match can do? I'll tell you what a match can do. A match can burn a piece of paper easily. A match can actually, you can strike a match and within 10 seconds, it can burn out. 
the air conditioning could just blow it out easily. You know what else a match can do? A match can start a forest fire. A match can, one match can cause a fire that would burn down 100,000 trees. One match. One match can burn a piece of paper and one match can burn 100,000 trees. Same match. This guy can do this or God forbid could do that. The idea is to recognize the power in this match. To realize that when I'm holding a match, to realize how it could be nothing and then how dangerous it could be. The Torah is telling us that glass of wine. You saw the sota, now you witnessed how dangerous that glass of wine can be. You realize the power in that match. Most people drink a cup of wine, it's nothing. They have a cup of wine, maybe they're a little loose for a second, and that's it. But every now and then you have someone who drinks a cup of wine who it leads them down the path of sota. The key, the key to life is the ability to identify that match. If your five-year-old or your four-year-old was holding these matches, you'd be frightened. Why would you be frightened if they're holding a match? Most matches, 95% of matches blow out in 15 seconds. Why are you afraid? Because you know the power of a match. And you know that even the 5% is a risk you don't want to take. Because you don't want that in a child's hand. Because God forbid, who knows what can happen just from a match. The greatest example of this is what's happening in our country right now. One story. One man died in a horrific, brutal, brutal, brutal way. But one man died and it lit a match on our entire country. That literally, you and I are in curfew because of what happened to one man in Minnesota. A hundred thousand people died in the two months before. A hundred thousand people. And it was a match. We felt bad and we moved on. One person died in the wrong way and it lit a match and lit a fire on this country from the West Coast to the East Coast and every city in between. Our job if we want to be growing Torah Jews, is to be able to identify the match. And what I'd like to do tonight, with once we understand the concept of the match, is to identify the matches that got our country to this point. How did we get here? How did we get to a point where the whole country could feel like it's upside down in a week? The answer is, in my humble opinion, there are eight matches. Eight matches that were lit. And I'm gonna give you all eight very briefly. Eight matches that created the forest fire that we have today. And each one of them have something to learn from. And we're gonna see them in a very brief and quick way. Number one is August 1969. You know what took place in August 1969? Woodstock. I don't know if Woodstock was the original match, but Woodstock is the turning point match when this country started to accept the fact that I can eat, I can drink, I can do, and I can act however I want. It became a turning point in the history of this country. It became a match for drugs and alcohol and promiscuity for decades to follow. 
The second match was January 1998. That was the day President Clinton was accused of performing a horrific sin. From that moment forward, that match became the one where we lost respect for what happens in the government. Where we lost respect for the presidency and sometimes for our local governors for all the days of Ronald Reagan are long gone. The match of disrespect was struck. Number three, June 2002. That's the day that the Pledge of Allegiance, the Pledge of Allegiance was removed from our classroom. We all remember it as kids. We remember it how the Pledge of Allegiance was a part of the classroom. It meant that we uphold tradition, religion. We're, we're, we're founded and based on something holy. On that day, when we removed it from the classroom, it was the match of disrespect to religion. The fourth one, February 2004. That's the day that Mark Zuckerberg and his friends in Harvard College, Harvard University, began this little cute idea. They thought it would be a cute idea. Let's compare people's pictures, college students, and created Facebook and launched social media and the ability for word to get around in this country on this globe in nanoseconds. Literally, I can have a thought and you can know that thought in a minute and millions of people can know that thought in a minute because of that day that social media was born. The fifth match was June 2007. That was the day that the iPhone was invented. You might remember it. You remember when you heard about it? Wow, this is cool. You could have phone, you could have music in your phone. I don't remember if it started with the camera right away or not, but this was an unbelievable thing. People couldn't wait to get the iPhone. And the laziness and the distraction that started to set into this country, it lit the match of laziness. And again, that might have not been the time when it began, but it was a moment in time where you could look towards and say, look what happened since then. Number six is July 2013. That was the day that a man named George Zimmerman was acquitted from killing an African-American man named Trayvon Martin. From that day forward, Black Lives Matter was launched. And what started in this country for the past seven years is a deep lack of understanding between two sides. Lack of compassion, lack of empathy between two sides. That, that match of hate was lit on July of 2013. Molly, you, you following where I'm going here with this? Match number seven, let me just have one more. Match number seven was 2014. That was the day that a man named Craig Silverman, you never heard of Craig Silverman, but you heard of the phrase he coined. That was the day that Craig Silverman coined the phrase, fake news. We all think it's Trump's phrase. It came before Trump. 
And once the concept of fake, fake news started to permeate this country, we don't believe anything we hear and anything we read and anything we listen to and anything we see. Fake news became this bug in everybody's brain. Everybody's fake. And finally, match number eight. April 16th, 2020. You know what happened on that day? I think that day was significant. The first seven everyone would agree with. This one you may know. On April 16, 2020, it was the last day of Pesach this year. Governor Cuomo made a decision that he's keeping the city and the state closed till at least May 15th. And it's understandable at that point, six, seven, eight hundred people were dying every day in the state. And so he decided to extend the quarantine far, long. And he created this mentality that you're going to be home and you're going to stay home forever. You know, we understood it was dangerous. And if he would have said, wait a week, and then another week, and another week, it would have made sense. But instead, they started canceling all events for April and May and June and July. And you better watch out for September. And he created a craziness within every person. If you're not sure you're feeling that craziness... Listen to your daughter every day. One of my kids comes into my study. Dad, I can't do this phone anymore. I can't do school anymore. I Zoom, the whole thing. Eight matches. The match of temptation in 1969. The match of disrespect for authority in 1998. The match of lack of religion in 2002. The match of social media in 2004. The match of laziness and distraction of the iPhone in 2007. The match of hate in 2013. The match of no regard for any news and no trust in anything you hear in 2014. And the match of feeling locked in, literally like you're in communist Russia. There were days I woke up and said, this must be what Russia feels like. You, get, you stay home all day, you don't work, they put money in your bank account and deliver food to your house for free. And that's what created the chaos. Have you identified those matches in your life? And have you watched and protected to make sure that those fires never spread, God forbid, in your life and in your home and in your family? The temptation that America has accepted since the 70s and the laziness that we've accepted in this millennium, and the lack of religion that has become a part of almost all young adults, so many young adults across the country today. Have you identified that match? Because the lesson of the sotah is don't just walk around and say, this is a disaster, this is a disaster, this is a disaster. No, identify the disaster, identify the match that led to it. And then what do you do? Vasuk says, become a Nazir. Become a Nazir means, I, once I realize the danger it could cause, I'm taking the matches away from the kids. But what do you mean? It's no big deal, Daddy. I'm doing nothing. It's just a little fire. I'm just burning a leaf outside. I'm taking the matches away from the kids. I'm not taking that risk. Vasuk says, Ishkiyafli. If he verbalizes the fact that he is now becoming a Nazir, the Eben Ezra on the Pasuk says, you know what Yafli also means? He means does, a person who does something wondrous, amazing. 
He says, like a pellet. He says, you know why it's wondrous and amazing? Because most people don't have the courage to see a sota and become a Nazir. Most people don't have the courage to recognize the fire and take away the matches. Most people don't have the courage to see a disaster and look for the root of it. Instead, most people just say, disaster, disaster, disaster. One of the Baalei Musar comment, and they say, you know, this is how it works. Seeing the fact that a woman committed such a horrific sin, something you never would have imagined on the day she got married, you never would have imagined that she would have strayed from her loyalty. You have to do something that also I could never imagine. You have to abstain from wine. You can't even have wine for Kiddush. Now that's the opposite. That, does not, that doesn't sound so normal or so balanced. But every now and then, you have to take, do something that's a little imbalanced. The lesson of what's happening in this country today is it's not just a product of an event that happened last week. It's a product of ongoing matches that have been lit throughout the past 50 years that have got us to this moment. Do you want to be part of the disaster or not? If you do, if you want to avoid being part of the chaos, you need to take the matches away. And it goes even deeper. There's a rule that applies in many parts of our the Torah that if I have something unkosher and it sort of saturates something that's neutral, piece of bread. If a Nazir has wine that goes into the bread, the whole bread becomes unkosher. What's the message that this that this possesses inside of it. And I saw one commenter have a beautiful lesson. He says, because it's not just the wine, it's even the taste of the wine that's dangerous. And he says, sometimes it's not just the action you need to watch out from, it's even the thoughts that can lead to the action that you need to be careful from. We're going into a summer. We're going into a summer that could be different. And going into a summer where a lot of people are antsy to get out of their house and get going and start getting together. Watch out for the matches. Watch out for the things that cause other things, that cause other things that become dangerous. That 20-year-old kid who says, I'm having a drink, and one time it's not a big deal, and another time it's not a big deal, and every time he does it, it's just the match that goes out in 20 seconds. And then there's one random night, he doesn't even realize that he took that next drink that becomes the match that creates a forest fire in his life. You go to a jail, go to a rehab center, go to any person whose life is in a mess, and if you have a 10 minute conversation with them, you can identify their match. You can identify that thing, that, that spark that ignited a forest fire of destruction in their life. That explains one of the, the most famous sota in the history of, the, of our people. The Gemara tells the story. Rabbi Shimon, Shimon was one of the great Kohanim, he says, the one Nazir that I really appreciated was a man who came to me. And he came to the Beit HaMikdash, and he said, I'm becoming a Nazir. And Shimon, uh, the Quran says, Shimon Asadi said, you're becoming a Nazir? Why? You're so handsome. You're good looking. You have, your hair is, is fantastic. Your eyes, you look great. Why would you cut your hair for? Because part of the process of a Nazir is cutting his hair. 
And you might say, why do they cut their hair? You'll see it in a minute. The man says, I'll tell you why. He says, because I was, I'm a shepherd for my father. And one day I was a shepherd and I was going to go feed the sheep and I took the sheep to the well. And when I got to the well and I looked into the well, I saw my reflection and I saw that I'm very handsome. And I started to see my eyes and my facial expression and, and, and my hair and some of us don't have that hair problem, but some do. My hair and I, I said to myself, wow, I look great. And in that moment, my Yitzhahara says, wow, you're good looking. The world is your oyster. You can do whatever you want. He says, in that moment, just when I had that thought, I said, I need to become a Nazir. Now, that's extreme. That really is extreme. But you know what? Imagine if an alcoholic, or a drug addict, or a gambling addict, or a phone addict, or a TV addict, imagine if they would have been able to identify the thoughts that led to the match, that led to their destruction. Imagine if at that moment they had taken radical action, like this Nazir does, and he takes radical action, and he comes to Shimon Asadi, he says, I want to cut my hair. That's radical. But he says, I understand what you're doing. You're identifying the thought that you know inside of you could lead to something disastrous. The beauty of this lesson, ladies and gentlemen, the beauty of to, to, to the wolves, the beauty of this lesson is that once you realize this and you recognize the forest fires that these collective matches have created, you realize how easy it is to just take a different route. You can be part of the 5% in this country that has their head screwed on well, that's focused, that's morally focused, that's energized and worked hard and you have so much better odds at being successful. Because once you have this skill of knowing how to identify those matches, once you have the ability to have seen so many sotas explode, so to speak, so much disaster come from the atheism and the disrespect and the lack of trust and the hate that fl flows through the country, you've seen the forest fire, all you gotta do is take a different route. All you need to do is just say, I don't have to be that. And I don't have to be that. I've become part of the 5% of this country that has so much, so, such a great future at their fingertips, that has so much hope. And this is my different approach. A lot of people are looking around and saying, disaster. You know what I think? I think what could happen is that maybe people can improve. Maybe the country can improve. Maybe lessons will be learned from all of this. And if we learn those lessons and take a new route, maybe our country and our people will rebound better than we were before. And I know right now, while I'm literally in curfew and not allowed to leave my house, I know that doesn't sound right. When we've been through month after month of disaster where the news just keeps getting worse and every time it gets better, it gets worse. I still believe that you see a sota, you become a Nazir, and it changes your life. We could see the destruction, we could change our course, and we could start to see blessing. Because you know, the fact that the sota and the Nazir are connected side by side, you may have heard before this class. 
But what I'm not sure you heard before this class is the section right after the Nazir. Sota, Nazir. Then the section right after the Nazir. You know what that section is? Birkat Kohanim. The greatest blessing our nation ever receives. The blessing that the Kohanim give us that literally in each word is rich with all of the things we hope for. Peace and light and blessing and wealth and protection. Everything we hope for. Because I think these three sections are connected. Sometimes Hashem brings disaster. And from the disaster, we learn a lesson. And when we learn that lesson, God brings the blessing. In fact, the Bikat Kohanim, it says, the Hashem says, Ko Tevarahu, Ko, like this. One commentary says, you know what Ko, like this means? A Kohen, when you're in the state of focus, like a Nazir is, Tevarahu at B'nai Yisrael, then you could bless the Jewish people. When you learn the lesson of the Nazir, the status, the mindset, the mentality of the Nazir, to watch out for those matches, you don't have any alcohol inside of you, so to speak. You don't have any of those distractions inside of you. None of those dates impacted you or changed you. Then you're ready for blessing. Who knows? Maybe right now. Maybe where on the cusp of biracha, a blessing. Maybe we're on the cusp of a summer that could be way more wonderful than we ever imagined. And you tell me, no, it's all, I know, I could give you, if you wanted, I could give you a whole class on how the summer could be a disaster. Not hard. You know, I could give you that whole class on how that could be, God forbid. But I'd rather give you the other side. How about how the summer can be beautiful? Do you realize that when the disease began, their prediction where millions of people would pass away? It's not an only, but it's an only. Only 100,000 people have died. Do you realize that over Passover, we thought that we'd have hundreds of people dying in this state for months? And thank God, these days, it's barely any. Do you realize that part of the reason why all of the governments made mistakes in regard to the extent of the quarantine is because they knew the numbers would drop, but they never dreamt that it would drop this quickly. Do you realize the fact that we're now about to have Bezrat Hashem de Shabbat, almost every shul in the community open, and the Jewish people open, across the world open. Yes, we have horrible riots, but you know what? Riots... I've happened in the past. And often, they calm down. And often, maybe, something can be learned from them. Understanding what other people are going through. Understanding what it means to be a minority. We're a compassionate people. You know, I had a conversation with a doctor the other day. He said, Doc, tell me the truth. Do you think this is over? Like, do you think this whole disease is over? Come on, we haven't, I, I feel like we've seen almost zero cases in the community since Pesach. Maybe there's been a couple, but they seem to have been mild, at least from what it seems. He says, I'll tell you the truth. So I'm not sure if this is SARS or God forbid Spanish flu. He says, SARS, which is a type of coronavirus, came a few years ago. It came, it went, and never came back, even though this is more contagious. But that came and went and never came back. He says, Spanish flu came in May. 100 years ago, came in May, was terrible in May, 
It was gone for the entire summer. And then in mid-September, October, it came back with a vengeance. So do I know that, God forbid, this could come back in a horrible way? Of course we know that that's a possibility. But you know what else is a possibility? It's a possibility that is leaving us and it could be gone forever. It's possible. Just today, the Dow Jones, which is the stock exchange, hit 26,000, which is the number it was at before the whole virus began. You know, I don't know what it all means. But I know that in the middle while our country is on fire and millions of people are out of jobs and hundreds of thousands of stores across the country are boarded up, there are people out there who believe that very soon we're going to come out and we're going to rock it, we're going to roll right away. We have that chance. That can happen. We can see disaster. We can identify how to avoid, get rid of the matches and bring beracha, and bring blessing. It can. And let's act like hopefully it will. Instead of us walking around every day, the world's coming to an end, the world's falling apart. I can't believe it. Do you see this video? Do you see this picture? Do you see that picture? Do you see this one? Do you believe this? Look at this. Do you believe this? Maybe let's say, you know what? Every state is starting to open up. Businesses are going to start to open up. The businesses that have opened from the people I've spoken to seem to be doing better than they expected. More businesses in Shalom will open. Maybe people will start getting their jobs back. And maybe this disease will be gone forever. We'll learn the lessons from these riots. And maybe we'll be better than before. I know it sounds crazy right now. When you just saw a video an hour ago of maybe some tractor that I saw driving right into a store. But it could be. You know one classic example of this? is a famous woman in Tanakh, her name is Chana. Chana was married to a famous husband, Elkanah. Chana had no children. She watched as the other wife of Elkanah, back then they had two wives, Penina, had many children. And if you were looking at Chana during that time, Penina is getting extra gifts from her husband. Chana seems to be down and depressed. Chana has no children for many years. Chana goes to the Mishkan in Shiloh and she has a prayer for the ages. A prayer that would transform every single tefillah every Jew would do from then till now. The Gemara Masech Berachot says, how we pray the Amidah, the style of how we stand and what we do and how we talk and how we express it is all learned from Chana. And from that prayer, God would give her a gift of Shemuel Hanavi the greatest prophet to ever live, the man who would anoint two kings, Shaul and David. If you would have seen her standing there at the bed, Tamikdash, you would have thought this is a woman whose depression made her lose her mind. And the Pasuk says, Eli saw her praying and thought she was drunk. The Kohen Gadol Eli saw her praying and thought she was drunk. And she responds to him, she says, no, you don't understand. I think that interaction is symbolic. It's true, but it's also symbolic. That Eli was a bystander seeing a woman in pain and thinking this is a disaster. And Hannah says back, no, you're not seeing this right. This right here, I'm a holy woman, and this right here is going to produce everlasting beracha. 
Because that's how the world works sometimes. Sometimes it has to be destroyed before it comes back better than before. In fact, the Sota herself, and I'll give you one more thought in the story and we'll conclude. The Sota herself, I told you if she committed the sin, she has a catastrophic result. But how about if she did not commit the sin? How about if her husband suspected she did something wrong, but the reality was she did nothing wrong? You know what the Gemara writes? When she drinks that water, she becomes blessed. And now she never had children before, she'll have them now. And if she had children that were unhealthy, they'll be healthier, stronger, better, wiser. Because what looked like it could have been a disaster could turn into a blessing. And I think the lesson is embedded in the water she drinks. Because the Pasuk says that she, what's the water she drinks? We take Hashem's name and we put it into this cup of special water and the name dissolves. We erase God's name. Erasing Hashem's name is usually a sin from the Torah. Yet here we erase Hashem's name, says the Gemara. How are we allowed to erase Hashem's name? Because Hashem says to create potential peace in this home. Because if this woman didn't sin, she could come back to her husband in harmony. To create potential peace in this home, in this home, Hashem says, it's worth it for me to erase my name. Now I ask you a question. Hashem, you had to do it with erasing your name. Do something else. Put some other potent, uh, some other potion, some other chemical from some korban. Why did it have to be erasing your name? Hashem, I think, is teaching us a lesson that sometimes I create erasing. Sometimes I almost destroy my own name in order to create, create more holiness going forward. Yes, what we've seen has been disasters. No shul, weakening of schools. Kids are trying to learn at home, but you know how that's going. Yes, this has been tough. But it could be Hashem decided to erase His name in order to bring the Beracha of Shalom. Nazir leads to Sotah, which leads to Beracha. I want to end with one little story. My daughter just shared it from her. Shared it a little while ago with me. A story she said she heard from another rabbi. I don't know who it was. But it's a story that I believe has a powerful message for us tonight. And then we'll conclude. There were two partners. They worked together in business for many years. And slowly the business was starting to crumble. And when the business starts to crumble, partnerships often become on the rocks and it becomes, starts to become shaky. And their trust was beginning to wane. And one day, one partner, let's call him Sam, Sam did something without his other, without his partner knowing. Let's call him Ike. Ike comes into the office the next day and says, Sam, you did this without telling me. How could you do this? Ike starts screaming on the top of his lungs. How could you do this? I don't trust you. You're ruining the company. You're ruining the business. You're creating a destruction. And Sam's just sitting there. And Ike says, you know what? I am so mad at you. I'm going to kill you. The next day, Ike walks into the office. So do all the employees. And Sam doesn't show up. They send messengers, workers to his house. And Sam is found dead, killed in his home. It's obvious to everybody who killed him. Ike, the day before, screaming, I'm going to kill you. And the next day, he's dead. Before you know it, 
There was a court case. The prosecutor had, he had heavy evidence. No real evidence, but just all the circumstances that clearly pointed to the fact that Ike was a murderer and he murdered his partner, Sam. And the courthouse is full and the prosecutor is dynamic. And he starts making the clear case that Ike, all of the circumstances and everything that we watched and took place in day one and day two and day three lead to the obvious conclusion that you murdered your partner. Ike says to the judge and the jury, Your Honor, I hear uh, the case against me. But I'd like you to give me one day. Tomorrow, at 1.30, my partner Sam is going to walk into this courthouse. Give me one day. Let's wait till tomorrow at 1.30. And you'll see my partner walk into the court. Everyone in the court was, wow. The judge says, okay. We'll take a recess and we'll wait for tomorrow. The next day from 12.30 already, the courthouse is buzzing. 1 o'clock, 1.15, 1.30. Everybody's waiting to see. Uh, Sam, as far as everyone knew, was dead. But the, the, Sam is going to show up. Everyone is looking at the door. And it's 1.30, 1.40, 1.45. Ike says, I just got a call. He's late in traffic. He's coming. They keep looking at the door. 1.50, 2 o'clock. 2.15, finally the judge says, what's going on? He says, give me a little more time. He's coming. Everyone's looking at the door, watching the door and waiting. Finally, it's 2.30. The judge says, what's going on here? Ike says, I'll tell you the truth. Sam's not coming. But when I said he would come, everybody was staring at the door for an hour, which means they believe it's still possible that I was not the murderer. They believe it's still possible that Sam is alive. So you thought you made, beyond any reasonable doubt, you made a clear case. You obviously didn't make a clear case because why was everyone looking at the door? It meant it's still possible that I am innocent and Sam is still alive. Everyone in the courthouse was like, wow, what a move by Ike. The judge says, Ike, it's true. Everybody was looking at the door. But during that whole time, I was watching you. And you weren't looking at the door at all. Because you knew he was never coming. Because you knew that you're the man who committed this horrific act. My point of the story is this. Is sometimes what we're going through looks clearly one way. And then all of a sudden we change. And it looks clearly another way. First it looked clearly like he committed murder. Then it looked clearly like he did it. And then it looked clearly like he did. We were in a world that looked clearly like it was going in a great direction in December and January and February. And then, and our Torah was growing. Our shoes were full. Our schools were vibrant. Our economy was better than it's ever been. And then it switched. And yes, the last three months, have been very tough. March, April, May have been months we've never, the likes of which we've never seen before in our lifetime. But don't automatically think that just because it looks like it's different, that doesn't mean it's going to stay that way. It's very possible that the story will shift back to being something great. So if you want to walk around like everybody else and say, 
Wow, this is a disaster. America is falling apart. It's coming apart at the seams. You'd be right, you'd have a case. I can't disagree with you. Or you could be the person who identifies the match that created the forest fire, identifies that from the disaster of the Sota came the conviction and the strength of the Nazir. And from the strength of the Nazir came the Beracha of the Bekat Kohanim. That we could, from these ashes, we can create blessing. We can have a fantastic summer. We could go into a year that could be more blessed than it ever was before. Who knows? Maybe it's the year that even brings the coming of the Mashiach. Who knows? It could really be. Our one job is to identify the match. Thank you and good night.